Hi everyone, I'm Chelsea Brown, and welcome to the Millie Podcast. The more I talk with people, the more I'm hearing the same thing. We're all looking for more meaning and more substance. People want to get away from the scripted reality and get to the heart of each person's story. This podcast is for women who want to rip up the script and explore new ideas, places, and possibilities. Every two weeks, I'll be talking with an inspiring and inspired woman who is creating impact in her community. And more importantly, a woman who can teach us to be ourselves, go after our dreams, and write our own story. I can't wait to share this journey with you. It's time to see the world in a different way. My guest today is Maria Urguel, a lecturer, educator, and founder of Vagra Vegan, a nonprofit in Sweden that helps people manage stress, recognize fatigue, and avoid burnout. Like in short term, stress can be positive, uh, such as when it helps you avoid immediate danger or meet a deadline. Uh, but stress becomes unhealthy when it goes on for a long period without the possibility to recharge. Vagra Vegan raises money for research, creates social impact, works to remove stigma associated with fatigue, and distributes grants to provide opportunities for recovery. Maria also has an HR consultancy firm, and in 2018, she won HR Profile of the Year. In Sweden, we have a culture like we're not good at taking it easy, like turning off and tuning out. Uh, you know the feeling when you're too tired to even think. So I actually never made the change until the day that I wasn't able to get out of bed. From her athletics to her career, Maria has always been a high performer and recognized for her accomplishments. The catalyst for Wagner Vegan was Maria's own experience with a high-stress job that ultimately burned her out, working 70 hours a week, overseeing 400 employees, and operating at an all-around intense level. I actually didn't see the burnout coming. I think for me, the main reason was that I was uh, attaching my self-worth uh, to what I was actually performing. So I was forced to perform a lot to feel valuable. When she resigned from her job, she looked for support and assistance, but couldn't find an organization to help her recover from this. And the idea for Vagra Vegan was born. Nobody uh, chooses to be unwell. Uh, and uh, being unwell is not uh, a sign of you being weak. You can never be healthy in an unhealthy environment. And I think everything uh, around this is about uh, educating people and continuing talking about it. In 2019, Maria received the Everyday Hero Award for raising awareness of mental health issues in Sweden. And this April, Maria's first book will be released. In it, she provides concrete tools and methods to avoid burnout. I am so excited to get this conversation started. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I've been looking forward to this interview since 2020 when we first met. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm also looking forward to the talk. So I guess to dive in, you have such a big story to tell and you have such valuable knowledge and tools around stress and burnout, but you got your start in a different line of work, HR. 
You've even been awarded the HR Profile of the Year in 2018 and the Everyday Hero Award in 2019. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you tell us about this first and what that former life was for you? Yeah, I'm actually still working in HR in some capacity. Uh, I have my own consultancy firm and I support companies as like more of a senior HR advisor in different projects and topics. Uh, And uh, I would say like for 12 years now, I've been in HR and I always knew that I wanted to work with people, but I was unsure of what capacity I wanted to do that in. And uh, at the same time, I have like a great interest in business and therefore like HR was a gift from heaven that I didn't know I wanted. So uh, it's, it's been great to have two different careers. I can also compare them. And uh, the award for Everyday Hero was actually not in my HR work. It was for my charity work in uh, creating awareness around mental illnesses in Sweden, actually. It was a great award because it was the people uh, voting for me to have it. So uh, it was great, actually. That's incredible. Can you define what your HR role was? It's uh, You can say that you're responsible for uh, employees uh, at work, like mostly supporting managers in their jobs in supporting employees. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think this can differ depending on what country you're working in and what company you're in. But if you if I would uh, put it together, I would say supporting uh, employees in performing at their best capacity and creating a good environment for everybody at work. Now, what is stress? Can you define what the clinical meaning of stress is? Uh, yeah, I would say uh, to make a sh- long story short, I would say that stress is uh, like a feeling of emotional and physical tension. And it appears uh, like when the requirements you're confronted with exceeds your abilities to meet them. And uh, it can come from any event or thought that makes you feel frustrated, angry or anxious. Uh, like you can say that it's a, your body's reaction to a challenge or demand. And uh, like in short term, stress can be positive, uh, such as when it helps you avoid immediate danger or meet a deadline. Uh, But stress becomes unhealthy when it goes on for a long period without the possibility to recharge. Then it's uh, it can harm your health. Yeah. Did you see examples of burnout and stress in your HR role? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why I'm laughing, but I laughed just because it was too many examples of this. Yeah. Well, you're open about your experience with this. Yeah. It's like at the company I was working in, uh, 16% of the employees were dealing with stress. 16%. Wow. And often it was the high-performing employees falling into stress and burnout, and mainly women. Uh, I can say that in Sweden, 80% of the people that suffers from burnout is women. And I would say that the numbers would be similar in other countries as well, because I worked in Germany and UK, and uh, it's mainly women as well. And uh, like how it's influencing happiness and productivity. If I start with productivity, I would say like uh, when you're stressed, uh, you lack physical and mental energy, uh, which prevents you from doing your best. You, you can't do your best and that will have a significant impact on your productivity. 
And uh, there are some researchers saying that stress is referred as the happiness killer. So when we are unhappy at work, uh, we often become like disengaged, cynical and toxic to others. I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of this, but uh, stress is like a virus. It's contagious. Yes. That's why when somebody's stressed, <laughs> I start to question, am I also stressed or is it something wrong with me? Why am I not stressed? Right. So this is really bad. Right. And I guess in lockdown right now, it's not great if people are living with their families and if one person is stressed, it might affect some of the other family members. What do you think the main contributor to stress is? And do you think there are healthy and positive stresses? I know this is a really like a traumatized question. People are getting nervous when I talk about the term positive stress. They're like, no, right. stress is positive. But I would say, like I said previously, I think in short term that stress can help us. Like when you're going up on a stage and you're having a presentation, that sort of stress is actually good for us to become more, oh, wow, I'm going to perform now. Or Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with a deadline short term, but when the stress is ongoing uh, and it comes like a bad circle you're never uh, being offered uh, the support of recharge or you, you don't have free time that's when it's unhealthy so some of the stress is good for you but the longer term stress is bad for you and uh, also the main contributor uh, mm-hmm. I would say at work poor management like if you have a bad manager I would say the risk of having stress is almost 99% Uh, unclear expectations, like long working hours, tight deadlines, all of these things contribute to stress. And Mm -hmm. uh, like in your private life, it's a bit different. Uh, It can be like the death of a loved one. It can be chronic illnesses. It can be your financial, finance, I can't even speak, (laughs) financial situation and also like family trauma. Uh, I would say that uh, if I would look at this, I would say that these are some of the main contributors. To talk more about your former life, What did a normal day look like for you? You were working 70 hours a week and overseeing 400 employees and performing at a very high level. And you've been open about your personal experience with being burnt out and stress. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, uh, I would actually say that my former life was not a life. Uh, so when I look back at that period of my life, I was more living like a robot uh, rather than a human. My life was basically uh, going to bed late and not being uh, able to sleep, uh, work, getting up early and going to work and uh, coming home again, continuing working and then going to sleep and just start all over again. And I think I did this for... Uh, without exaggeration, maybe four years I lived like this. I had zero life uh, except work. Like you're supposed to work to be able to live, but I lived for my work in some way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Did you see the burnout coming? I actually didn't see the burnout coming. I can be honest and also say that in my role as HR, it was my job in some way to handle people with burnout. But I remember that I was thinking like, how tired can people be? What's wrong with people? Before I actually was one of them, I couldn't understand. So um, 
I think for me, the main reason was that I was uh, attaching my self-worth uh, to what I was actually performing. So I was forced to perform a lot to feel valuable. Mm. Um, and I didn't see it coming, but I had some of some signs. I remember this specific incident. Um, I was apparently I had made uh, an agreement with my friend that we were going to have dinner at this restaurant, and uh, she called me. And she was like, "Where are you?" I'm like, "Why? I'm home." She was like, "Yeah, but I'm sitting here waiting for you," mm-hmm. and I couldn't for anything in my life even remember that we were going to meet. So for me, it was a lot with forgetting things. And also uh, because my body was so tense, so when I went to the gym, I could sometimes like uh, be paralyzed in my muscles, like I couldn't move my arms. And I didn't understand that this was stress. So I usually like, oh, yeah, I've carried too much weights, weights again, instead of actually uh, realizing that this was something really bad going on. And uh, I think this was ongoing for... Yeah, four years, as I said. So these were physical tension and uh, forgetting things and stomach pain was uh, the main things for me. When did you really realize that something had to change? So I actually never made the change uh, until I actually was burned out, like until the day that I wasn't able to get out of bed. So that's when I stopped. Um, So today I knew that I could stop maybe two years before I actually had the burnout, but I I I was a bit ashamed that I, how can I not manage doing this? I'm so young. I'm supposed to mm-hmm. I'm supposed to have energy, and uh, everybody was looking at me like, oh, how can you be stressed? You're so good at your job. Like, yeah, maybe that's why I am stressed. So uh, I never stopped, uh, Chelsea. I just went on with it until I actually was burned out. Now you mentioned people, you know, you maybe received judgment. Did you lose any friendships over this? What 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 did that look like for you? I didn't lose so many friendships that they were leaving me. It was rather me leaving them. Uh, because when, when you are handling with burnout, it's a bit more like looking at your life as a spectator and seeing the old you uh, being replaced with the new you. And in the new me, uh, I realized that a lot of the relationships I've had over the years has been me giving uh, them a lot rather than being in a balanced relationship when uh, where we're equals and supporting each other it was always me supporting them so uh, I set a lot of boundaries around around some people and eventually those relationships uh, faded out because I guess we were friends because of the things I was doing for them rather than we were liking each other Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there were some relationships that I um, don't have anymore. I think we've all been at this crossroad before, and doing what's best for you is ultimately the only thing you can do. What was going through your mind, and how did you feel? It's uh, It was cr- crazy times, really, but to be honest, those first two initial months, it was more like... Uh, you know, the feeling when you're too tired to even think like uh, I have all of us, we are scared of different things. I was so scared and so tired that I, did, that I did, wasn't even able to 
be scared of the things that I used to be scared of. If you can, if you can relate, like how tired I could be. Like the first two months, I just slept. Like uh, I don't, I can't recall doing anything else but sleeping. And I thought that I was like dying from something else. And my parents were like, "What is wrong with her? Why is she sleeping so much?" I went to my parents and I just slept. I came home and I just slept. And I, the more I slept, the more tired I became. Um, so those first two months, I don't think I did much thinking, to be honest. But after that, uh, then I started to think uh, and reflect. And uh, it was more like getting to know yourself. I think this period, the summer of 2016, is the first summer in my entire life that I've actually reflected on who I am and what I like and what I don't like. So mm. it was a bit scary to get to know yourself. You know, you have just yes. lived life like a autobahn and you have never re- yeah. reflected like, how am I as a person even? Mm-hmm. So it was a bit scary. And uh, also in the end, uh, that's the best thing that actually has happened to me, to be honest. Yeah. Was it challenging when you opened up to your close family and loved ones? Yeah, I didn't tell people uh, in, in the beginning that uh, I was uh, not doing well. Uh, I just said to them, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And nobody asked, why are you so tired? Because they know I'm intense uh, as a person. So when I started to tell people, it was around maybe the same time. I was really quiet about this. Maybe even a year after when I started this organization, they were like, why are you so interested in stress? Then I started to tell them what I've actually been through. Uh, And uh, then it was easier to tell them because then I was stronger again. So... I'm one of those people that was really ashamed, to be honest. That's really, I mean, I think, again, that's something we can all relate to. And what would you say to those listening who also feel ashamed to open up about how they feel? I would I would really like uh, say that nobody uh, chooses to be unwell uh, and uh, being unwell is not uh, a sign of you being weak. It's more like a sign that you have been too strong for too long. Uh, and uh, if I could turn back time, I would never uh, waited a year to tell people. I would tell them how I felt and they would be those that really care about me would uh, support me without a doubt because that's that was what happened. When I actually opened up, I uh, received so much help, so much support, so much understanding from those who are truly true to me. And those who are not, uh, it's good to know who they are as well. Absolutely. Very well said. I can't believe mental health is still a taboo topic. Do you find it is a taboo topic in Sweden? Yeah, I would say that. I think Swedes tend to think they are doing everything so much better than they're actually doing. I've thought about this uh, taboo thing for so long. Why is it still so stigmatized? Why are people so ashamed? Because um, if you have like broken your leg, everybody can see that. But if you have a mental illness, nobody can see that. Uh, You need to be really, really in a bad place uh, to be able to see on somebody that they're not doing well. 
So uh, I think everything uh, around this is about educating people and continuing talking about it. Like now I would see, I can see a difference. Can't you also agree on that, that people are talking so much more, even celebrities are opening up uh, about anxiety and I think we need uh, role models and uh, representation matters. So uh, I think we're on a way to change this, actually. I absolutely agree 100%. It's very sad when people have to go through this by themselves. So what was that aha moment like for you when you knew that you had to create this not-for-profit? You know, after those two months that I was actually just living like a zombie, uh, I started to do a bit of a research about stress and burnout and how to recover and so on. And I couldn't find anything. Like I went to one site and it was like, do this. And I went to another site. It was like, this is what stress is. I was like, okay. Uh, how will I learn? And the doctors, they don't learn so much about uh, mental illnesses when they go to do- uh, uh, like a medical school. They mainly focus on physical illnesses. And then maybe you need to decide se- uh, self to uh, read about it. So it came out of the lack of information online. I was like, okay, I will create something about- around this. Wow. So there was not, not more planning in that when I started, of course. Mm-hmm. Now, can you tell us about the organization, the research and fatigue, education, resources, and support you offer? Yeah. So it started very small. It started, um, it's a non biased organization, and we welcome everybody. And the main services we're covering or offering uh, at this minute is uh, education, uh, both for employers on how to work. Uh, to prevent stress, uh, we're turning to employees and teaching them how to build resilience and also private people. We're doing like workshops, webinars and so on. Uh, and also I'm active on social media uh, to create a lot of awareness and uh, contributing in normalizing stress and burnout. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something a lot of people are not aware of, but I'm also uh, often invited in different political uh, meetings uh, where we're driving uh, to create structural changes, because I think you can never be healthy in an unhealthy environment. And uh, to be able to create a more healthy environment, you need to make the changes on a structural level instead of turning to individuals right. to make the change. So I'm, ex- I'm active there as well. And uh, within a few weeks, we will launch like a digital stress program. It's like a mental gym. Like you go to your wow. uh, to train your physical fitness. Here you will be able to train your mental fitness. Wow. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, And it will be in English, so people uh, all over can take part of it. And I'm actually collaborating with a girl in India. She's doing all of the the graphics, which is the magical internet. I found her on the internet. Can you believe it? Well, I think you and I, we essentially met on the internet too. (laughs) That's true. We also have a romance started at the internet. That's true. Romance. like you know, a romance. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm excited to finally meet in person one day soon, I hope. I hope. And I think COVID has almost 
encourage people to make connections over, you know, social media or the internet, which is so cool. That's the good part of social media, I would say, that you can, you can have friends all over, uh, all over, and you will never feel alone because there is always some, yeah. some chat room you can join and talk to people, I think. Absolutely. So you're based in Sweden. Does Sweden have higher levels of stress than other countries? And if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, I would really like when I started to get into this, like going a bit deeper, I would say that Sweden has like a scary high rate of people suffering from fatigue and burnout. Like I would consider Sweden Sweden being a country where you're uh, like you have a good a lot of support system here you everybody's entitled to doctors like if you lose your job you can get like financial support from the government we have a good support system which makes it uh, weird that we have this mm-hmm. problem but i've identified like three reasons why i think swedes suffer uh, like uh, from burnout more than other countries we we have a culture like um we're not good at taking it easy. Like other cultures are better at that, uh, turning off and tuning out. Right. In Sweden, we're basically obsessed or we love to compare ourselves to others. And we tend to believe that everyone else is doing perfectly. And therefore, we also need to excel all the time. So this is a main typical Swedish thing. Mm. That's why they're calling me. I'm not the typical Swede because also in Sweden, we, we're a bit too polite. Like at work, uh, when we are not agreeing on a topic, people tend to think they are in a conflict. Like right. uh, if you think blue and I think red, that means we are in a conflict. But for me, that's just we are we agreed that we disagree. And this is also a, a thing that uh, increases the stress because a lot of people have problems on, uh, with setting boundaries because they think that boundaries is connected to distancing yourself from people or entering a conflict. So this is also re- the reason why I think Swedes struggle with stress. And uh, last but not surprisingly, a lot of Swedes are uh, lonely. Like we are not that super social um, country, to be honest. A lot of people that move to Sweden, they're always giving me feedback, like in my role as HR. Oh, Maria, like Swedes are so polite, but it's impossible to get to know them. So, uh, yeah. So when I lived in Italy or Spain, like they can tell me stories, it was so easy to get involved in the community, but it's impossible to get involved here. Like you either have your friends or you're alone. Like, uh, so I think that's also is a major thing for, uh, for Sweden that why we're depressed and stressed. Wow. Well, if I ever move to Sweden, I will consider you my friend. You have a friend and I will introduce you to all my friends. You're covered. (laughs) Now, what was it like living all over the world? I've traveled, but I have not lived. And in my job, I have worked like globally. I've been responsible for sites in Germany and England, but I, I have been able to drive the work from Sweden. So I've been in other cultures but right. I have not lived there for longer periods, so to say. Right. Okay. Sense. Switching gears to some of the tools that you teach. So how do you think setting boundaries affects us positively? I think like boundaries is the best self-care and self-love tool you can uh, you can use for your well-being. Uh, and uh, when setting boundaries, you're like creating a safe space for yourself. 
like this is uh, this is a behavior I accept and this is a behavior I don't accept, and that is making uh, making you like create this safe haven for yourself. So uh, when you're setting boundaries. Uh, yeah, I would say that's the key to actually stay um, sustainable, so to say. Um, and that's also the m- main reason why I'm being able to work a lot still. Uh, but never, I never feel burned out or fatigued just because I can set boundaries for myself and also others. Before, I was more of a people pleaser. And that's what a lot of people struggle with, I think. Yeah. Yes, I think so, too. Maria, would you be open to leading us through a small exercise that we can use in our daily lives and hopefully use to onboard back into the world? Uh, I think boundaries is uh, a good tool to use, but I think a lot of people are, we need to go through uh, some more steps uh, before you're being able to set boundaries. But I would recommend starting to set boundaries with yourself, like how much uh, social media you use, when you start and end your work day and uh, things like that but the main uh, exercise I would recommend also the one I'm doing for myself regularly is self-compassion that is as great as boundaries and uh, when we're going back to life for a lot of us like the other day I was at uh, a coffee shop and I was like wow so noisy in here and there's not even so many people in here and we're not even used to maybe hearing a lot of voices because we've been in ca- captivity for so long, maybe we can say. But I would I would create like a journal. Uh, and uh, whenever you're uh, criticizing yourself, like, oh, why didn't I, I manage to do that? I could do that better. Like when you're having a bad self-talk with yourself, I would like write down the things you're telling yourself, your self-criticism. And on the other side of the journal, I would reframe myself talk as if I was talking to a friend and when you're mm-hmm. seeing that uh, on paper it's easier for you like to realize oh wow I'm actually being quite uh, harsh on myself and uh, whenever you're feeling like uh, harsh on yourself like take a pause and tell yourself okay how would I talk to a friend mm-hmm. uh, that's a really good um, good thing to do in your daily life so I would start with the self-compassion journal and there's a person called Dr. Christina Neff for your listeners uh, she's like the guru in self-compassion so I would recommend her as well to read up her work thank you lacking self-compassion is a really sad feeling why do you think people lack self-compassion? I think when I lack self-compassion, why do I lack self-compassion for myself? It's more that I feel I don't deserve to be nice to myself because I'm not happy with, with what I've performed. So a lot of people that don't have compassion for themselves are all, uh, often uh, putting their self-worth in what they're performing. And when they're not performing, uh, they they can't feel, we don't feel happy with ourselves. So we we tend to be harsh towards ourselves. Uh, and for people with uh, more like uh, high self esteem, and they can still feel worthy even though they're not performing on the level they they expect of themselves. They can still be nice towards themselves. So I think it's connected to that, uh, to be honest. 
That's beautiful. It's something that I think we can all definitely improve on. How do you think COVID-19 has affected all of our self-esteem and self-compassion and stress levels and maybe even fatigue? It's everything. Like, what did COVID not do? That It's right? like ruining everything. Yeah. No, but I think this, this is like a common topic for everyone. I, I think a lot of people are lacking motivation right now due to COVID. We don't see the meaning yep. of putting in the hours of work and we just wake up and we're at home. So I would say like create routines for yourself. Like if you're working from home, for example, like create a good routine so that you feel that you're actually living as normal as possible instead of like sitting in your couch, having TV or Netflix uh, in the background and working in your pajamas or sweet sweats or something like uh, try to set routines and try to find um, uh, joy in the small things like what are being able to do now that you weren't able to do when life was going on in that other temple like do you have hobbies you want to take do you have things like renovating your house if you haven't had time for that like things you usually put aside because everyday life is going on. Then gratitude is a good thing, actually. Like it's always somebody that, that has it worse than you have. That's something I'm always thinking, okay. Uh, our uh, grandparents and grand-grandparents, all of them were like asked to join the war. We're just actually asked to sit on our couch and work. So what are we complaining about? So if we can like think like that, it can be easier to... Uh, cope, I think. Absolutely. Now, how can we set boundaries while working from home so that blurred line between personal time and career time isn't blurred? Uh, how can we like separate life from work life when everything is being done within the same uh, building or same room or same space? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And uh, what, what has been successful for a lot of people is creating a, a routine, uh, like trick your mind into believing that you're actually physically going to work. Right. And uh, this is setting boundaries with yourself, first and foremost, like uh, wake up. Some people are waking up like the minute they're joining a Zoom meeting, like uh, oh my gosh, they, they're, yeah. they're not putting the video on so we can't see that they're still in bed. Everybody's like, put the Zoom on. And they're like, no, no, I haven't been able to brush my hair yet. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I think people are getting a little too casual. They're getting a little too casual for their own uh, best, like... Uh, at the beginning, I was also, to be honest, I was waking up the minute the meeting was starting, right? Like I could have breakfast in the meeting. And yeah. then I felt like this is not working. And uh, first they told us, oh, this will be over in six weeks. And now uh, 11 of March 11 was one year of the pandemic. So we're one year in and we still don't see like it be over. So I would say again. Uh, create like a routine, like wake up every, like as if you were going to work and make like a fake commute, like go around the neighborhood pretending you're actually going to work, come home, uh, put proper clothes on, don't work in pajamas. <laughs> I know I've been guilty of that to tell you the truth. But I'm as well. But now I'm starting to like put real clothes on. I'm using makeup. So I feel comfortable in putting like the Zoom on and create like a dedicated workspace. Don't sit in your couch 
And I think the main thing is to set your hours. Like when will your day start and when will your day be over? Like shut down the computer, put it away and continue life as if it's your life. Yep. And uh, take lunch breaks like between 12 and 1 o'clock in Sweden. Usually we have lunch time. Take that lunch time. We, we tend to work in front of the computer now. So I think create a routine like if you were uh, at work and uh, then turn off the computer because otherwise you will never stop working. That's amazing. Another question that we received from our community is, this is a great one around eating. What are your tips you can share for people who are working in stressful environments and who are managing teams of people daily who turn to food when they are not only stressed, but also very tired and moody? Is there an alternative we can turn to versus carbs? (laughs) I know a lot of people are eating more sugar when they're stressed and some people are also turning to uh, substances like more caffeine, coffee, more alcohol or other bad things. And I am, you know, when it comes to managing stress for where I advocate for, uh, I would say that um, the most important thing is not to change uh, a candy for an apple is more like uh, changing, like trying to understand uh, the root to the problem that creates stress mm. for you. Like, why are you turning? Why are you feeling so stressed that you need to eat? Like, if you think like we have a wound on ourselves and we're putting a bandage on the wound without finding out why we actually have that wound it will be like a, a short-term thinking and i think that's the same with food we're replacing something that is bad for us with food uh, so instead of actually dealing with the stressor what what's triggering the stress we're finding a substitute for it so i wouldn't recommend uh, any other food but i would recommend to look internally why are you feeling stressed and what triggers the stress that makes you to feel the need of eating something bad and uh, in stress management we have four something called four a's and it's uh, like uh, avoid the stressor alter the stressor accept or adapt and often it's accept or adapt like if you find out that you're working in a stressful environment it makes you want to eat Uh, a lot of things try to understand how can you handle the stressor so that you don't feel the need of eating does it make sense like before i would also drink like drink more coffee to have more energy and just go on and go on and it never stopped until Mm -hmm. i stopped and figured out why is actually triggering me to feeling the need of drinking more coffee and when i found those stressors and when i could address them Uh, I didn't feel the need to drinking more coffee. Wow. I am going to take this lesson into my life and implement it. That's great. I definitely think as we onboard back into the world, if that day happens here, um, there's going to be a lot. It will happen. You need to have faith, Chelsea. I know. You know what? I am hopeful. (laughs) I think a lot of people are more aware that everything can change in just like a slide of a second. Like... We were living life like there was no tomorrow before. And now we're aware that at any given moment, we can actually be forced to not even leave our houses. So I think people will be more, I hope hope so anyways, appreciate 
uh, like appreciate the small things more than we did when we took everything for granted. I think so too. And people seem to want more honest scenarios and um, honest people around and they want to support good and impact now. You know, people care about where the dollar is going. Um, people want to learn more about their neighbors. So I love that. I think I think so too. I think there's been so many, I hate to say positives to COVID because I don't want to get in trouble, <laughs> but there have been some silver linings. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, definitely. Maria, you have written and published a book that is about to launch in April. It's crazy, right? In COVID, I wrote the book actually. So it was good that I was in captivity. That's incredible. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. And can you tell us about it? And where can we buy the book? How can we support it? And what are we what are we going to learn? What can we expect in the book? Uh, yeah, so the book will be available on all bookstores online, but it's actually, as of now, written in Swedish. But uh, my hope is that it will be translated also into English. I think it will be like uh, most certain it will be. Amazing. And the book is actually uh, a book that I've written about how to prevent stress from an employer's perspective. Like um, I'm telling them all of these uh, methods they can use to make a workspace or workplace without stress. And it's also good for the employees to, to buy the book because in the book they can see what they can uh, expect from uh, their employers, their managers, and also how they can uh, cope with stress, mainly at work. And I will also uh, re read it, so in Swedish and hopefully also in English, so you can also listen to it as an audiobook. Wow. It's so exciting. Congratulations. I can't wait to purchase my copy. And how can people outside of Canada get involved with your work at Vagrat Vegan? Yeah, they can follow me on Instagram where I'm called uh, Vagra Vagen. Um, and they can also visit our uh, webpage, vagravagen.se. And uh, we're more and more um, transferring all of the things also into English. So incredible. Uh, incredible. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining me. This was such an honor and so informative. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a delight, really. Thank you very much for joining me for this meaningful discussion with Maria. You can learn more about Maria at vagravegan.se. Please join me next week when I speak with Jen Harper, the founder and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty, a Canadian Indigenous-owned, cruelty-free beauty brand. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit subscribe, share with your friends, and visit us at millie.ca.